Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host, and I am joined, as always, by Mark LaRocco. Mark, welcome. Thank you for having me. We also have a third guest, a very special guest, Mr. Justin Furr. Justin, welcome to the Utah Film Pod. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Josh. You bet. I am excited to have you here. We have a really special reason to bring you on. Uh, Justin is uh, a member of the the team behind the, the Tyson and Friends podcast, which is a, mostly a gaming podcast, although I hear that they cover all kinds of different subjects. Uh, you can find them through gamerscoop.com. That's G-A-M-E-R-S-C-O-U-P.com. But nothing I've talked about so far is connected to the reason he's on here today. And I'm actually going to wait on that. I'm going to build a little bit of suspense. There's a very particular, fun, special reason we've got Justin with us today. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But uh, first off, how you guys doing? What's new? Just excited for the end of school. I probably brought that up last week, but we're, we're down to... It's okay. You can still be excited. We're down to three days, two days left, I guess, for our kids. And um, so, yeah. Not too much else other than that. Excellent, excellent. Justin, what's going on in your world? Oh, my kids are already out of school, so all heck is broken loose here. And so <laughs> I, I go to the office. <laughs> so. Nice, nice. No, it's good to know. I am I am definitely ready ready for summer. Um, although I guess I kind of already started my summer. I've been teaching for the last three weeks on summer semester classes. So, in fact. My students are going to be turning in their first paper this weekend, so oh. maybe I'll be more grumpy next week when I have to be in the middle of actual grading. So. How how was we? I want to hear how the film class went, or is it still going? Is it over? Oh, the I guess I didn't report that, did no, I? No, I don't think you did. the The film class was canceled. Oh, so so I am teaching two sections of uh, English composition, basically the intermediate composition class. Uh, the film class had eight loyal members, which was not enough to keep it going for the summer. So we are hoping to get a little bit more of a following mm-hmm. in the fall or the spring or some other time, because I was excited to do that class, but I am not actually doing it. And honestly, judging by as busy as other things have been lately, I think it might not be such a bad thing. Mm. This, these other two classes have kept me pretty busy and we put in... We put him some flooring too, so there's been exciting stuff going on. Oh, that's cool. I I, I yeah, wondered about that because yeah. I just finished a book called A Short History of Film. That is, uh, it reminded me a little bit of like maybe a textbook for a film class, but it's really just about film history. It's not about okay. production or design or filmmaking so much. It's it's it really goes to the history of films all the way from you know the 1800s to now. Um, the, the textbook that I was going to use and presumably will use in the future is a little more like what you're describing. It's, it's more focused on, I mean, it talks about elements like cinematography and sound mm-hmm. and editing and all that kind of thing. Uh, but it's not really meant to be a guide for production so much as an introduction to film studies. Yeah. And so, you know, it'll tell you about what these different things are and what to look for and how to understand how things come together. But it's not really a guidebook for, so you want to be a filmmaker, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's going to be more, it, it has more of an academic slant to it. And, uh, you know, so there's, there's a lot of the history. Uh, there was one section I was reading where I was talking about just the difference between how, how the different phases of the process kind of grew up independently, like the, the production and the distribution and that kind of thing. Hmm. And, 
but uh, but I probably shouldn't say too much. I should just say, hey, listeners, if you're interested in taking this class, go sign up at Weber and let's uh, let's get this thing going. Cool. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the summer movie season is off and running, and before we get into kind of the main heart of this episode, uh, I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about the new Spider-Man movie that's coming out this weekend across the Spider-Verse. It's a sequel to into the spider-verse yeah i was gonna say i can't even remember now how did you guys how did you guys like the first one i loved it i've seen it three times already with my kids yeah it's a lot of fun i loved it too i mean that was really the first major multiverse feature that i i really i maybe that was out there at least first one i enjoyed and Mm -hmm. and it's poster worthy we've got it it's one of our movie posters we've got here in the basement um my son blake really likes it he he went to a birthday party and saw it um, maybe six a months or eight months after it came out and came home talking about it. Um, so, yeah, that's one that I think was, it was fresh and new and it was such an interesting take on on Spider-Man, on the different types of spider people, I guess. I don't know what you call right. them, spider persons. Um, yeah, I really like the, the, you can tell they spent a lot of time on the art style and, and just making it art. The whole thing yeah. is uh, it, it it is cartoon, but it feels like. And I heard that they did this. They had they they did it all like uh, computerized, right? Computer graphics. But mm-hmm. then they went over every frame with like these uh, artistic like layers of uh, looks like paintbrush in some scenes, or you know. And then the the comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, art that comes along yeah. with it. It's amazing. Yeah. It's just yeah. really cool. No, that was, that was easily my favorite part of the first one was just the animation itself. I, I appreciate animation. I've never been a big kind of like a diehard fan of animated movies, but this was one that really jumped out to me. Just, just looked and felt just fantastic. And, and the story was a lot of fun. Um, you know, Mark, you mentioned the idea that this was, I think, and I think you're right. I think this was the first kind of major release that got into the whole multiverse concept. Um, and I'm inclined to think it's the best one so far, as far as presenting the idea of the multiverse in a way that doesn't get overly convoluted and, and keeps things pretty, pretty focused and pretty streamlined. Um, that's, that's one thing I remember about that, about that first movie, which is, I want to say, was that 2018 when that came in? I mean, I know, I know it was before the pandemic. I think it was, 2018 or 19. Yeah, yeah. I think it was yeah. So it's been a few years now. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, and that was Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Now, did they do the second one? Do you know? So they did not direct it. Okay. But they are the producers. In fact, our you know our little press screening led with just a brief message from them. We just kind of saw them on screen really quick, just saying hope you enjoy our movie, that kind of thing. So, cool. so it's very much their, their thing. It was 2018. Yeah. Okay. That sounds about right. Because I remember that the film critics association voted it their best picture for that year. And that was before I joined the association. So it had to have been mm. 2018. Okay. I think that sounds right. Well, and it's um, got Stan Lee in it. So, Oh yeah. There when it's got him. <laughs> right. There that you must go. Be, there it you must go. be one of his last appearances, huh? It would have been. Yeah. That would have been just about it. Yeah. Um, 
Well, the the good news is that a lot of the things that you guys loved and I loved about that first movie uh, carries over into the second one. Um, the animation, I this is the kind of movie that I would almost recommend exclusively for the animation, for the look. It's something that you need to see and, and that you will just appreciate. I would I would venture to say that seeing it in a movie theater specifically is is well worth the time and the investment. It looks incredible. And and just you know, Justin, like you were saying, they also continue to do the uh, the thing where a lot of the movie kind of has a similar feel as far as the style, but it will toggle back and forth with other styles is, is that in, yeah. as new characters come in, those characters are individually designed in different ways to reflect you their know, universe. Maybe it was from a black and white comic yeah. or, you know, there's a, there's a character um, that kind of has more of a punk style and background. And I don't even know how to concisely describe it, but his specific animation, even as he's running around with all the other characters just looks uniquely kind of that, that late seventies, early eighties. Punk, punk aesthetic. You know what it reminds me of a little bit, Josh, is this, I don't know if you've seen on Disney Plus, they've got that Star Wars show that's, uh, it's each episode is kind of a standalone episode and it's always different uh, art styles. They all come from, I can't remember what it's called. I think I've heard of this. Yeah, and it's, it's quite interesting. Some of them, I'm not into at all, but some episodes are like, you know, you've got some that are like Japanese anime. You got other ones right. that are like, kind of like this Spider-Verse movie art. Uh -huh. And then other ones that are just cartoony, you know, like it's just a right. huge wide array of all kinds of art styles. It's kind of fun to, to jump around and watch. It is fun. Yeah, that's and and that's to me, I think the most valuable aspect of the movie. That's the biggest draw. Um, the story is still good. I didn't enjoy it as much as the first movie. Um partially for a reason that I'm debating whether to go into. I don't know how public some of the uh, some of these potential spoilers might be, so maybe I'll hold back here and yeah, and just kind of stick to some of the basics. Yeah, be, be, va uh, be vague because I, we're going to yeah, go I'll see try, it. I'll try to be, uh, try to be vague. So this one, it picks up, you know, sometime after the events of the first film. Uh, there's actually much more of a focus on the Spider-Gwen character who was, I guess, kind of the unofficial love interest in the first movie mm -hmm. and it, it it shows us her dimension and it shows us kind of her relationship with her father who is the the police captain and and how she gets involved with this interdimensional team of other spider persons uh who basically travel the multiverse trying to keep various things in line um and in the process of this you know, we meet several new kind of primary Spider-Man characters, you know, different versions of the, the character. There's um, mostly they seem to be kind of drawn by by ethnic categories, um, whereas the the first one there was like the wasn't there like a Porky Pig one? And then there was the, yeah. the, noir, the noir, which one, is and then there was the anime Nick Cage, Nick, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. Spider, so, Spider Ham. So this time, this time there's more one. It, 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 there's kind of. There's almost like a black exploitation one where where it's a, a a woman who has just kind of like the really big afro and it seems like she's kind of drawn from a 1970s uh, black exploitation film. Uh, another one is more of kind of a kind of a Mexican or Latin heritage. Like all of his costume is kind of designed in 
you know, it almost looks like kind of a luchador uh, type of type of costume. Um, and then there's there's one from India. And, and so it, it almost seems to be more kind of like an international push <laughs> as far as like drawing the different characters. Um, but this, of course, leads back into the Miles Morales uh, thread, which I don't know if that's supposed to be our dimension or our universe or not, but he's the character that we're kind of grounded with. And there's, there's, you know, he's still hiding his identity. He's still trying to kind of reconcile his new role and deal with his parents and, and this kind of thing. He's, he's also really hung up on, on Spider. I keep wanting to call her Spider Gwen, even though I guess technically she's, it's Gwen Stacy, right? Um, and so when, when Miles finds out about this interdimensional Spider-Man squad, he wants to be a part of it, but they're kind of pushing back on him. And so this creates tension with him. It creates tension with, you know, with, uh, spider Gwen. And eventually he's able to kind of come into this central headquarters where we find out a lot more about what's going on. And that's where things really get kind of tense. And there's, you know, it explores some interesting themes about kind of free will and, and predestination and different, different things. It gets kind of deep and, Honestly, I still enjoyed it. It's still a lot of fun. It still looks incredible. Um, it is way too long. It is. Really? I, it's about two hours and twenty minutes, and it's going to lose all the kids' like attention. Said, <laughs> well, and at the same time, it's so kinetic. I mean, there's so much going on at, at once that I felt more challenged by it than the first movie. Um, not in a oh, this is making me think it's more okay just kind of keeping with this and keeping up with it seems like more of a more of a task this time um i still i still enjoyed it overall i think i would still put it at kind of like a three stars out of four type of experience but it did feel way too long especially considering what the movie does and does not do with its story and it looks it looks fantastic the the multiverse stuff is a lot more complicated and convoluted and so where the first one really kind of kept things simple and just said hey we're just bringing all these characters from different universes and we're all together there's a lot more kind of jumping around to different dimensions and stuff and so it's starting to get into the area where i get a little bit tired of the multiverse concept but that could be is it kind of like the everything everywhere all at once type of hopping around and yeah gets you confused? it's a lot more like that it's it's i mean i don't know that i would go to go as far as to say it is confusing but it's much more complex. It's much more of an effort. And I just, I don't know. I have never, with, with the exception of the first Spider-Verse movie, I really haven't liked the whole multiverse thing. And I'm not even sure I can identify all the reasons why. I, it just felt like I burned out on it really quick. And I don't know if it just suggests that there's this inherent, not you know, meaningless to everything meaningless concept like okay well there there's infinite characters and infinite universes and so the value of each individual one just seems to be diminished or if it's just i don't want things to be this complicated when i'm watching a you know a cartoon superhero movie but well see and i, I would think if they could make interesting characters or, and or characters that you care about then fine bring on the multiverse i mean like i love spider-man no way home um, with all those three different yeah, Spider-Men and their various villains. I thought it was so fun. And it really wasn't confusing. I mean, it was 
mostly it took place in our i'm saying our dimension but you know it wasn't a lot of jumping around maybe like there was a little Mm -hmm. bit more in doctor strange too especially in like those dream sequences but i i was going to talk about doctor strange too yeah but when you're done no no that's fine i just i just think that if if you have characters that you care about even if there's multiple ones in different dimensions then i i think it can it can work but i mean i like i said i haven't seen it we're we're actually going for my son's birthday this Friday. I just got the tickets today for the whole family. And so we're looking forward to it. But yeah, it'll be a lot for the little ones to sit through because it's two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. But, I think they will still generally enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's still fun. Yeah. You know, um, it's still an experience that's worth having. But where I almost saw the first one is just kind of a right on, you know, two thumbs up green light yeah this this one i have a little bit more hesitation with okay yeah like justin you were going to say something yeah i was just going to talk about well i agree totally mark with what you said about the the spider-man uh the third spider-man marvel um universe installment i liked it a lot and to be honest i had no clue going into that movie that it was going to have toby Maguire and andrew Garfield, is that his name? No, uh, right. And and I never saw that second Andrew Garfield Spider Man. I still haven't. I need to go back and watch that. But um, so some mm, of that that was in there. I think you're okay because I think there was a villain from one like one of those movies that I hadn't even. I had no clue who that was. But I loved how they they just weaved everything together so well in that movie. And I'm maybe one of the few that really enjoyed the Doctor Strange movie because to me. I, I heard a lot of people saying that it felt like a horror movie to them, but for me, it, it didn't feel that way. It, it felt like a well thought out multiverse type of film. I thought that it was fun. Like, honestly, the story was kind of thrilling for me. It was a little like more frightening because Sam Raimi is the director. It's kind of that way. Right. right. And yeah. And I was fine with that. Like I, I was actually kind of happy when I saw that he directed it because I, I didn't realize going into it that that was him. And then, of course, you see different elements of that movie that really are yeah. very... Like the zombie style. Doctor Strange. <laughs> right, right. It's it's It becomes very apparent that, oh, okay, that yeah. makes sense. This is totally the same Yeah, thing. We, we, did, we so, did a podcast on that back in episode... I don't remember. <laughs> but we, we actually both compared it to a horror movie. I thought it was the most horror-like movie... It's, or any, any Marvel movie. Any of the MCU movies. Yeah, it, it was. I'll agree with that. That movie was scary, and I thought, especially for sure. younger kids, it would be too much. Um, but, Maybe. But yeah, these Spider-Man movies, they for some reason, there's something about the multiverse and Spider-Man that works. And you guys remember, have you seen the meme where all three of those Spider-Men are pointing at each other? Like, yeah. it's 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 just like, it's a thing. Like, it's, it's just, for some reason, it's like <laughs> a perfect setup to have multiple different types of Spider-Men in a uh, in these these kind of movies, so I'm yeah, because to it. they've rebooted Spider-Man so many times now, and so it's like, hey, this is a good opportunity to just throw them all into one movie. <laughs> Jenny, my wife, is very obsessed with Nick Cage, so she's like really excited to hear about this, like Nick Cage being Superman, because a long time ago, and I don't know when, he was supposed to be Superman in a yeah, Superman movie, yeah. And uh-huh. she even showed me a clip of him getting all ready and suited up with Tim Burton and <laughs> And uh, it just test. never happened. It never came to fruition. And right, she's just right. really bummed about it because she's obsessed with Nick Cage. We're going on like a 
Nick Cage binge right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we were watching some movie. Actually, this didn't have Nick Cage, but it was a Sam Raimi directed movie, and we had to turn it off because it was too disturbing. Like, <laughs> was it, it was like, oh yeah, was it uh, Dragon to Hell? No, no, it was a movie that felt like Fargo, and these guys like oh, found a, a simple dollars. plan. I yes, like that movie. Yes. Yeah, it, it does yeah. feel like Fargo because he actually consulted with he's friend, Raimi's oh. friends with the Coen brothers, and he only made that movie two years after Fargo. So it, it's very okay. similar. It's like I, a, I, pr- a, a I might need to just finish it, but you should you should it, finish it it's, when it was going perfect. that direction. I was like, ah, these guys, why didn't they just tell the truth? You know, <laughs> it, <it's, laughs> they could yeah. have avoided all this. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, well, I I am interested to hear back from you guys once you have the chance to see across the Spider Verse because I think that there's lots of good stuff to talk about, and it's it is a fun one. I I mean. By by highlighting the negatives, I don't I don't want to cast uh, too too big of a shadow over it, but uh, there there are things to think about, things to discuss. So we'll move on from that, and uh, we'll we'll get into uh, why we're all really here, which is to talk about Return of the Jedi. Um, <laughs> May twenty fifth, earlier this month, marked the fortieth anniversary of the release of the third Star Wars movie, Return of the Jedi. Um, which happens to be one of the movies I remember seeing the most clearly as, as a kid. Um, I remember seeing other movies before that. I remember going to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. I vaguely have memories of going to see Empire Strikes Back. But Return of the Jedi was one of the first ones I really remember going to see and experience in the theater. And as Mark tells me, Justin, you also have a, a pointed passion for this movie so tell me where where does your return of the jedi passion come from do you is it your favorite star wars movie or is it just a particular star wars movie you're really attached to give us give us a little background here yeah it's okay so it it is one of my favorite movies of all time it it is the best star wars movie in my opinion now i really like episode one and i'll tell you why later but um episode six is just has a special place in my heart and I think the the whole the whole resolution at the end is what I just love the most. It's just that you know ending was so well written, where Darth Vader comes around. Spoiler alert! You know he saves him. I was going to say I think I think for this for the rest of yeah, the you've had since yeah. episode eighty three. Pretty much this is this is this is spoiler <laughs> spoiler territory. But, you know, so so just, speak freely. It's just so well made. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff in it. Uh, I was watching this. YouTube video about some guy's reasons why he likes it. And it's kind of funny. He mentions that at the the beginning, the first 35 minutes of the movie is Han Solo getting rescued, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is interesting that Lucas chose to do that, but it's just fun. It's just yeah. fun. Like yeah. for a long time, you have that whole thing going on with Jabba and Jabba was supposed to be this weird looking humanoid kind of character from the comics and whatnot. But then they just change into a big slug blob thing, and uh-huh. it's just fun. Like, and then like the the very like chains that he had Leia on, or what kills him, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, things like that. It's just it's just funny. Like, it, there's a lot of fun stuff. Like, um, like Boba Fett dying uh, by just getting accidentally poked in the jetpack, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but. I, it's just so fun, and, and then Ewoks are fun and fuzzy, and 
and who doesn't like them? I mean, I heard that people... I heard <laughs> a lot people of people didn't. don't like them. Some of the criticisms of the movie are the Ewoks. First. Yeah. But think about this. I've heard this about episode one also, that everybody complained about episode one because of Jar Jar. But the movie is very beloved by a lot of people. But then you have just this overpowering like hate for Jar Jar Binks. But I also have heard that people didn't like Ewoks. They didn't like Chewbacca back in the day also because they were just annoying. They didn't speak English. It's like, you know, grunts. And they're just fuzzy walking carpets. And people wanted more from them. And they just were kind of annoyed. Now, maybe in 20 years from now, well, it's already been 20 years since episode one came out or, or more. But maybe people will be obsessed with Jar Jar Binks in a, in a weird way. <laughs> but I'm I think it would have to be a weird way. It would have to be a yeah, very weird way. Well, a weird but there fetish. are weird things going on with him, like where they think he's a Sith and whatnot. But I won't go into that. Um, That's right. I, I just, episode six is just fun. I love how he comes around at the end and that the whole like conflict at the end where the emperor is trying to turn him and he's just struggling so much internally he he kind of the whole movie is kind of him maybe turning to the dark side like he's wearing black in the whole movie there's a lot of like literature with or uh how would i say artist artistic i took a film lit class i can't remember what we called that back this is back in high school like the movie legend for example is there's a lot of symbolism, right? There's a lot of like mm -hmm. everything that's evil is like dark and red and like Tim Curry's devil character. But then like Tom, uh, Tom Cruise is like in white all the time. And there's like these floaty things. And so they have a lot of that in star Wars too. Cause in the first star Wars, well, episode four, Luke is in like white clothing a lot. Mm -hmm. As the movies progress, he's, he's in dark clothes. He's facing his demons and he's, really trying to figure it out and he does figure it out that he he does not want to join the dark side and he wants to save yeah. his father and there's still good in him and he was right about him so those are the reasons i like it it just has a lot of symbolism same reasons that i like you know lord of the rings trilogy uh you can relate it to like christianity and gospel kind of things and or or not like a lot of things just life life kind of lessons and um right. struggles that we have and, and i think that's why a lot of people like star wars because you can it's not just about this fantasy story in space it's about this ongoing struggle of good and evil and and same with lord of the rings you you got you got that same jive going on so those are, I don't know if that, I, I kind of bounce around. I, I can kind of get off topic with my mm -hmm. ADHD. <laughs> You're fine. And so, <laughs> tell me if I'm, no, I'm I, going way off course. No, you're fine. You're fine. I, like I say, this, this one, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that Return of the Jedi is my favorite Star Wars movie, but it is one of the ones that's closest to my heart because I have very specific associations with it. Um, so and I think this plays into kind of the Ewok question, but I was really the perfect age to see this movie. I think I was about, I was either five or six years old. And so I was, I was young enough that kind of the cuteness of the Ewoks, I think, appealed to me. Mm -hmm. Like they weren't my favorite characters or anything like that, but 
but I think a lot of the people who disliked the Ewoks were older. Uh -huh. so they felt like maybe it's like that too was kind cutesy or something. Right, right. Whereas seeing it at my age, yeah. in fact, it's one of the things that's so fun to think about with this movie is just remembering my five, six-year-old perspective. Because, like I say, I, I remember going to Empire Strikes Back. And one of the clear things I remember coming out of that and, and, and then going into Return of the Jedi was thinking, why does everybody just believe Darth Vader when he says that he's Luke's father? It's Darth Vader. He's the bad guy. Of course he's lying. <laughs> you know, and so I, so I didn't, it didn't make any sense to me, to my young eyes, <laughs> you know, that, well, it's Darth Vader. You guys are stupid. He's, he's, he's lying to Luke. He's not really his dad. And, and so of course, you know, that, that was resolved. I, I remember my mom bought a copy of the novelization before we went to see the movie and and so I stole a peek at the the last page of the book before. Oh. So, oh. so I and it said it said uh, the empire is defeated, long live the rebellion, or something like that. So I so I knew that the rebels would win. You know, I guess it was spoiled to that degree. But you know, looking back, it's not exactly the kind of movie that was gonna pull a fast one. Us. So did you see it one in the there. theaters? Then is that what you're saying? Oh yeah. So oh, like, absolutely. Because it in came fact, out in '83, so you were like a five. Yeah, I'm so old. <laughs> well, I, I I consider myself old too, but that movie I was only two years old when it came out in the theaters, so I didn't get to see it in theaters. Um, yeah. I I did see it like over and over again playing at my house because my dad, right, he was into Star Wars. My brothers were, and so it was always like being repeated in the house. So that that's nice. how I watched it again and again. Well, I I saw it repeated times in the theater in fact this was this this is again why i have such fond connections with this movie um i i remember the first time i saw it was at the century theater down on 33rd south in salt lake back when they had the domes i remember standing in line outside the theater in the parking lot with my dad and my best friend steve jones and and the, you know the three of us saw it there and I saw it many, many more times over the course of the summer, largely because my mom was as big a Star Wars fan as I was. And so we'd be just driving around town and then my dad would pull up in front of the center theater in downtown Salt Lake and my mom and I'd hop out and just go see it again. Wow. <laughs> and, and just over and over, uh, the center theater was, was one of the main places that we saw it uh, down at the corner. It's it's same basically location as where the Broadway center theater is now. Um, but that was also the, the summer of all the flooding. And so, you know, this being the Utah film pod, oh, yeah. uh, this is, uh, yeah. In fact, I've, I've seen images of the, the river that came down state street and that was actually taken. There was a shot taken where you have the center theater marquee in the background and it's got return of the Jedi on the marquee. And, uh, so yeah, so there's, there's a lot of, this this is kind of a more important anniversary, I would yeah. say, than than at least at least for my my movie memories, right? Um, I would I would say that Empire Strikes Back is a more favorite movie among the Star Wars films for me, but I remember a lot about Return of the Jedi, and that was I think that was the first movie that I saw lots of times in the theater and really just kind of absorbed because I was old enough to start remembering things you know mm -hmm. i mean my, i don't know about you guys but my 
my memories are very, very scattered and, and vague and ambiguous before the age of five. And so, so this one. Who's aren't? Kind of, I, yeah, I mean, right. for me, like, and, and it goes along with what you're saying. Uh, the, the reason, another reason I think that, and it's kind of one of those things that's just kind of like buried in the back of your mind. Like, why, why do I like this thing? Well, it, it's those red, like guards <laughs> for some reason, oh, yeah. those red guards, yeah. like they just really like caught my eye. And I really, I had action figures of them and I love yep. it because like the action figure was like a cloth cape. Right. And right. there was something yeah. about them, like, cause all the, uh, uh, stormtroopers and everything up till that point where they, they were all white armor and everything. And mm-hmm. then there's these guys with these, these two red guards just right, right outside his door with these staffs. And you're like, who are those guys? Like they yeah. look cool and they have yeah. these shiny helmets that look like something from medieval times. And I'm like, I want to see more of them, you know, <laughs> kind of like the Boba Fett thing where George Lucas didn't realize how like famous Boba Fett was going to get before he killed him off. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, right. and obviously now we know that he was resurrected, you know, he came back from, from the Sarlacc pit, <laughs> but, um, and that's a cool story too. We don't need to go into it, but, I like the Mandalorian. I like the the Boba Fett series. Those are fun. But um, yeah, well, the, those guards, they were the coolest thing. Like for me as a kid, I had the action figure and like, that was just, it just made me like the movie more. And, and it's stupid to think, well, toys, toys are what made me, but for kids, like toys are important. And I could see you have mm-hmm. toys behind you. Uh, like, <laughs> and I, I guess we can call them toys, but we don't really play with them. It reminds me of Spaceballs. He's like, no, sir, I did not see you playing with the toys again, sir. <laughs> yeah. I don't really play with my action figures, but I have them. You know? It's like I got this, you know, uh, you know, Kylo Ren. Hey, there's, there's Kylo uh, Ren. Yeah. And, and I have a Darth Maul 12-inch figure. But uh, it's just like fun because sure, it, it just it just makes it more interesting. And people call me nerd. My wife kind of makes fun of me. She's like, you have dolls. And I'm like, so what? <laughs> I'm into this stuff. Yeah. You know, well, and I think that that is something that is really unique to Star Wars in the sense that because we spent so many years as kids playing with the toys and creating our own adventures and kind of spinning off into our own, you know, little fan fiction, however you want to call it, I think that that's a big part of the, the reason that the fans can be so combative now because once, and you know, maybe I'm kind of spinning off into a theory here, but once George Lucas signed over star Wars to Disney, nobody was really in charge anymore, right? Because Disney's job is to make the fans happy, but if the fans don't agree, then you can't really, you know? And so, so I just, I think it's interesting how, it, you know, as opposed to a lot of other franchises that maybe we just kind of take at face value, because we have such an experience and a background kind of creating our own version of Star Wars in our own basements, you know, in our own backyards or whatever, as kids, there's almost this sense of ownership that I think a lot of Star Wars fans have that, you know, for better and for worse has kind of manifested itself in in recent years as, as Star Wars is. You know, I, I, I know that there were a lot of people, I don't know, you know, Justin, how you feel about this, but I remember at one point 
Disney decided that, okay, well, the extended universe is out. That's not canon. We're not going to worry about that. And, you know, just because over the years, all the, all the books, the, you know, comics and all these other, you know, parallel stories came up with inventing new characters and many new storylines. And it, it really feels like I say, for better and for worse as a very shared universe. It's a very shared experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. We haven't said Lucas's name yet because he <laughs> um, is the creator of this world. I mean, having directed Star Wars, and uh, he, you know, and and you kind of mentioned for I, when you were saying for better or for worse, it made me think of this. But like, he decided to direct. He, he did not direct this movie. It was Richard Marquand, who was a Welsh director right. who who died not a few years after this at a pretty young age, and then. He didn't direct the second movie either. That was Erwin Kirshner. And so for, for him being um, who's listed as the richest film celebrity of all time, Lucas only directed mm-hmm. six films. And four of them were Star Wars movies because he did the uh, prequel trilogy, which he was, there was a lot of criticism for, for, for some things yeah. like the dialogue and some of the, some of the plot development and also some of the casting. Um, but I mean, he, I mean, you got to give him credit for creating this and for writing these two creativity, these early the stories for the start the early Star Wars movies. Um, I think that there's we don't even realize the influence of these movies sometimes. And and so I rewatched, like Justin mentioned, he watched this last night. I I watched this over the last couple nights. And I first of all, my background is I was not a big Star Wars nerd or Star Wars kid as a kid, like. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to say nerd, but Star Wars what are you, person. We um, <laughs> say geek, Mark. Geek Sorry. Is, is, uh, anyway, cool. I wasn't that into him, and so I don't even have a memory. Like I can't tell you the first time I watched this movie or when I remembered watching it. Now, as as uh, I'm pretty sure that I watched them all when the the prequels came out. You know, like it was when you met did. me, Mark. You became yeah. more nerdy because <laughs> yeah, it may have been. And now I've seen this a lot of times. And you know, our our kids, we've gone through all of them. You know, all the Star Wars movies on Disney Plus. But like, I've noticed certain things that I'm like, this scene is like Ryan Johnson did an homage to several scenes in Return of the Jedi. And I just noticed this for the first time yesterday, um, like the funeral pyre scene. I, I remember watching. And, and Justin, you mentioned this when Luke cremates, you know, kind of ceremoniously the body of his father and he's standing in front of a fire. There's another scene. There's a scene in Last Jedi where Luke's standing or kind of sitting in front of a fire after the temple is burnt down when when Yoda burns it down. Um, another thing is the the well, OK, so I, I kind of wrote these down, but like, you know, I remember people criticized The Last Jedi. One of the criticisms was how how just easily and quickly like uh kylo ren kills um snow you kind of think is he going to be the villain throughout all these movies and then kylo and sort of a surprise twist kills snow and um that was sort of his master right he he called him his master and he did his bidding and that's sort of how darth vader is to uh the emperor emperor palpatine and and you don't know what he's going to turn i mean luke just has this supreme confidence he, he talks in very measured tones the whole movie He's, he's almost very quiet. He doesn't, he has this kind of, I don't want to say he's, he's brash, but he's very confident and he's just a good character and he just knows, he just feels like he's going to turn. They always use that phrase, right? He's going to turn Darth, Darth, his father, just like 
the emperor believes that Luke's going to turn to the to the dark side. You know, Luke believes that Vader's going to turn to the good side, and and then you know when Darth Vader actually has to save Luke's life by throwing the emperor down that whatever it was the shaft that like blows up. Um, I mean, it's a really touching scene. It's surprisingly for for what is probably considered yeah. the most famous villain in movie history, who who was just yeah, completely wicked up to that point, and then you know he's dying and they want he wants to see his son for the last time. I mean, it's a really moving, amazing way to end that movie because it's not just a simple good versus evil, good guys win kind of like how Josh read the the last page of the novel. It's like more complicated than that because it's it's a deathbed repentance scene of yeah darth vader I was it's gonna a say, really cool ending well um, and yeah sorry to cut you off it, no go ahead the darth vader like the, they lucas added that part where he's like no and honestly like <laughs> it didn't need to happen and no. the scene was perfect without that and it's still okay but because um, you could hear him saying that or something similar without even right. saying it. Right. Like you can see, even though he's wearing this helmet covering his entire face, you can just see like what he's thinking. Like you can tell he's he's going back and forth, looking at the emperor, looking at Luke, and he's he's debating. He's like, "What is going on? I I, I have to stop this. This is my son. Like mm-hmm. he's gonna kill my son. And yes, I didn't think I cared, but now I do. And now I realize, like, in this moment when he's trying to destroy my son, that I, I need to stop this. Yeah. This is, I, I got to do something. And, and, and for the record, I had no problem understanding that that was what was going on when I was six years old. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. You know, maybe before we, before we get too far away from this, I, I just kind of want to chime in because I, I think we brought up something that's important, which is the kind of the, the value and the, you know, the debt we owe to George Lucas for kind of starting this whole thing, because I mean, I have all kinds of criticisms of the prequels. I have all kinds of criticisms for the special edition things, you know, and, and all that kind of thing. But I would never, you know, I, I've heard some people say that, Oh, George Lucas is the worst thing to ever happen to star Wars and all this kind of thing. And, <laughs> You know, he, he's deserving of criticism just like anybody, but I, I find him to be just this fascinating figure because he is simultaneously loved and hated, you know, and, and, and hated even though he created the thing that everybody yeah. loves that they think he messed up, you know. <laughs> he and, wouldn't be around. And, and so, yeah. right, and I think, it's, I think it's important, you know, to kind of to keep the right kind of perspective and understand that, okay, well, yeah, I mean, you can you can criticize what decisions he's made after all that, but you have to consider that in the context of the uh, that that he dreamed it all up in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and and I know that it, and, there's a lot of credit that goes to his wife for the editing in the first movie, and, and it, I mean, film is a collaborative thing; yeah. nobody just does it by themselves. But he really is the source of of this thing, and he is, and I think yeah. that criticisms have to be be made with that in mind so i'm, I'm glad you guys brought it up and he loves well and i and and i would think that i i also agree that adding the no to re, the end of return of the jedi was <laughs> redundant and unnecessary uh, he loves the creativity uh part of filmmaking it's so fascinating because you look at all these new hollywood directors and and he's friends with them all i mean these guys are all friends spielberg coppola i mean it was 
Coppola, uh, uh, Lucas worked on one, one of Coppola's very first movies. Um, and well, they were in they founded, Zoetrope together. Yeah, they founded Zoetrope together. And then, you know, Spielberg and Scorsese and all these guys. Yet, of, of these, like, four or five directors, probably throw De Palma in there, uh, Lucas is the only one that actually does not like directing. He likes everything else about <laughs> making movies, but he went out of his way to not direct movies. And, I mean, it's a 22-year break between episode yeah. four and episode one. He didn't direct anything yeah. in between. Them. I want to talk kind of, about that in a sec when you're done. That's kind of crazy when you think about it. Because you look at, like, yeah. all these other yeah. prolific guys, like Spielberg, who's in the 30s, and Scorsese, yeah. who... I think Kept he's in the going. 30s. He has a movie coming out this year. And and yet George Lucas is just happy sort of overseeing the whole thing, being the creative guy behind it. He He's even been consulted, even in the later, the very later ones where he's almost completely out of it. He still has yeah. some consultation with some of these later ones. And um, But like, I uh, yeah, anyway, I was going to say really quickly, well, I don't know if you want me to, let me, let me say this before I forget. I was thinking about this, like, when you went big like events like big events in a movies usually revolve around deaths a lot of them revolve around like killing off a main character a major character and i remember it almost became like a, a little joke once you know once we got to like harry potter 4 like which character is going to die by the end of this next harry potter book <laughs> well think about all of the characters who are killed off and i have to put an asterisk by that because of the new three star wars movies in this return of the jedi can you guys name all of the characters in this movie who die all of the major characters who all the die. major characters who die think about this Jabba, Jabba the hut i mean yeah. he may not be a major Yoda. character but i mean he's the prime villain of the first 35 minutes of the movie yeah. uh-huh. boba um, dies for all intents boba, boba fat but then you know because, there's the clone yeah but at the yoda time, nobody knew that yoda, yoda dies yeah lucas creation right? darth vader yeah, Emperor Palpatine, Emperor. and that's the one with the yeah. asterisk, because I don't know how in the heck <laughs> he came back for came back. Skywalker. Completely inexplicable. Well, he could cheat death, remember? Okay, well. So. Anyway, that's five five major characters who die in this one yeah. movie. Because I remember when, when Revenge of the Sith came out, which is episode three, and we had seen the first two, and I remember talking to my friend Mike Forsberg, trying to figure out, wait a minute, we're going from... Revenge of the Sith, which is, we know, the final in this new trilogy, and then that's supposed to lead to episode four, they're going to have to kill off, this is going to be a tragedy. Like, they're going to have to kill off a yeah. lot of people in this movie. A lot of things movie. are going to happen. Right. A lot, a lot yes. of crap's going to happen. And at the same time, though, at the same time, though, they are still way behind the pace of the Transformers movie from the 80s. That one, <laughs> they killed off everybody <laughs> in that one. Because they, they had to crank out those new toys. <laughs> yeah, to I guess they had the path. to. But, um, but no, what I was going to say about Return of the Jedi, though, is that they're actually one short of what they originally intended. Because if the if the rumors are true, Hans, or Harrison Ford was pretty determined to have Han Solo get killed off mm. in Return of the Jedi. Um, but uh, well, he, you know, oh, he had yeah. to wait a few years until he yeah. could get his his moment. He starts apparently he in a state of I mean I don't know what they call it hibernation sickness like comatose <laughs> carbonite. Uh, I, I don't understand how that works. Carbon yeah, because it, it takes place a long time after um, Empire Strikes Back, right? Is it? I think so. That's what I think I had heard. I mean, it was like, I, I can't remember exactly what the timeline is on it, but uh, yeah. five I, or six you know, years, it's, maybe. It's not the next week. I had one yeah. more, one little more homage, and then and then I think I'm 
done. I mean, I, I, I we could probably talk about this movie for hours, but <laughs> oh, are yeah. you are you bored? No, no, no. I no. What is I mean is, is like I, I feel like I've interrupted Justin and probably you like several. Well, no. Times I, in the last when you're time. done, I wanted to say something about yeah. But the, just really quickly, I like that scene uh, near the beginning when Han and Chewie meet in the Ranker pit. Um, and and of course they didn't meet for the first time, but go back to this the movie Solo, which is sort of the first. I don't want to say flop, but the first movie that really underperformed that was a Star Wars movie at the box office. Remember how Han and Chewie met in that movie? It was in an underground yeah. sort of jail cell, uh, you know, where oh, he, yeah. he was thrown in there. And so I kind of wonder if that was Ron Howard's own little nod to Return of the Jedi because mm. they get thrown in the rancor pit. And I um, thought of that. Did you, yeah, isn't that kind of cool? And I don't know if it's just a coincidence or not, but I, I thought about that scene because when I saw it in Solo, I was like, oh, that's so cool. They're meeting for the very first time and they're going to become like partners and smugglers and co-pilots for the next however many decades. But in their first meeting, of course, because Chewie's this fearsome, like crazy nonverbal Wookiee, you know, at first Han, Han doesn't know, is kind of afraid of him and doesn't know how to deal with him. And then and they become best friends. Didn't they fight a little bit? Wookie. Like, they did. Yeah, there was a fight. Yeah, well, he was kind of violent with him. Yeah, it was. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Well, he wanted to rip off his arms because that's what Wookies do. Right? That's what Wookies do. Yeah. <laughs> well, and see, that's I, I have to I have to throw out another criticism here because <laughs> I I thought that when when Han Solo died at the at the end of Force Awakens, I thought this is the opportunity to have Chewie go crazy. Oh. And just start tearing, tearing stormtroopers apart storm right and left. <laughs> yeah, I thought if there was ever arms. a moment to kind of see that realized, but I guess I guess it's still a PG thirteen movie. <laughs> yeah, we can see Chewbacca <laughs> fatalities going on. There. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, anyway, just Justin, you said you had another. Uh, yeah, I, what I wanted to say is that uh, kind of off what Mark said was it is interesting that after Jedi ends. There is a huge gap, right, like of time that passes by till we get another Star Wars movie, and like twenty two years. Is that what you said, Martin? Mm -hmm. it, well, it, no, for between me, Jedi and it's sixteen and episode one. Between Jedi and episode, episode one, one. Yeah. yeah, and and I recall just want for those sixteen years, I was like, where are is more Star Wars? And <laughs> because I watched it all in the eighties and the nineties, and I was like, when are we going to get more of this? And I would hear. I think there were rumors constantly floating around. And so the point I'm getting to is for episode one is another special one to me. And I know there are a lot of problems with it. I know mm -hmm. the original, like the, the one, two and three have, have their issues, but I remember this one, probably the best, like, because, you know, I was too young for the original trilogy to, to go to that in the theater. Now, a theater experience, like for me, that was probably the biggest, most memorable theater experience was Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace. Because I remember the best theater that we had in, in Utah County was the Wind Song, right? And it, mm -hmm. I wouldn't even say it was, maybe it was considered auditorium style seating, right? Up to that point, we were all sitting behind some tall guy and you couldn't see the screen, right? <laughs> and <laughs> it's so true, like, I remember being short and I couldn't really enjoy the movie and some big guy sits in front of me. So and this was the first theater where we were lifted up. And I remember that because you still didn't have reserved seating back then. We didn't have smartphones and all that. This is 1999. Right. 
So the movie's coming up. We start hearing about this movie and everybody is so hyped. I remember it was it was crazy. Like people were couldn't believe that we were gonna get another Star Wars movie and it was episode one. Uh this is the roots about what happens with with Anakin Skywalker. And there were lines like a week before, if I remember right, maybe like days before, of people waiting to get tickets to episode mm-hmm. one. And because yeah. you couldn't reserve this online, people were camping literally in tents along the river at that Winsong Theater. And I could not believe that. I tried to go and, and get a ticket, and I was like, nah, forget it. I'm not going to bother, like, camping out. But um, I got lucky. Somebody got too many tickets. I don't remember who or how, and I got to see it twice that day. So, like, oh, wow. I somehow got two tickets that day, and it was back-to-back. As soon as I got to see it the first time, I went in and saw it another time. And I remember this is the first movie, guys, where – there was a standing ovation and clapping at the end. I, oh, really? I, don't, I don't think anybody clapped after movies until episode one. Okay, that, that might be completely false, but I remember this big time. Like, there, I hadn't seen that happen. And people were clapping and cheering. As soon as the Lucasfilm banner came up at the beginning, people were screaming, yelling, and cheering. Every seat was filled in the theater. And this is just why it was such an impactful movie to me. I remember there was a episode one PlayStation game and I played the heck out of that game and you control like uh, Qui-Gon Jinn or uh, Anna, or uh, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi on certain parts. And so like playing the game, having some action figures, I worked at Toys R Us um, at that time as well. And so I saw all the toys coming out that were Star Wars, all the video games. And it was just, there was a lot of hype with it. And uh, so that's kind of why. It, episode one, I know we're talking about episode six, but... I was going to say, the, it sounds like we brought you on to talk about the run <laughs> it, It's the very next. It's the very next one after that that we got. And so and there was such a big gap. And, and I don't know why we had to wait so long. And oftentimes I hear people say, well, uh, I wanted Lucas to keep doing Star Wars and not... This is dumb that Disney's buying. And I'm like thinking, okay, fair enough, like... Lucas wasn't producing and making the movies as fast as people wanted, I think. This is my opinion. And I know that Disney's not doing everything everybody wants with the with the series, with the show, with with everything, but they who who else is there to take the mantle? Right? Mm-hmm. I feel like there is no one else better than Disney to handle it. And say what you will about everything they're doing with it. I feel like at least we're getting stuff. Maybe they're doing too much and maybe they need to chill out. Mm-hmm. I like Andor. I like Mandalorian. Uh, there's some good stuff they're doing, but yeah, maybe they need to calm down a bit with the, with the Star Wars stuff and just focus on some really good shows. Mm-hmm. That, that's I, my I two cents. I'm kind of going everywhere, but. No, I, I'm with you. I feel like. I've had my fill of Star Wars for a little while. I think that, you know, not necessarily a 15 or a 20 year gap is necessary, but I think if they right. took their time and, and really kind of invested in the quality instead of churning out quality. I feel like Mandalorian is one of those more quality ones. And then what, what was the other one that we got? I mean, they, they just came out with so many and yeah, they just need to yeah, take their I time. Know. 
Boba Fett, right. Book of Boba Fett. Boba Fett was like another season of Mandalorian, let's be real. Because I feel like it was right. written that way. Like maybe they it was supposed to be a Mandalorian season, and then they're like, well, because there was an episode of Boba Fett that didn't even have Boba Fett in it. It was all right. Mandalorian. Right. So, and I don't, I don't know if that was the initial plan or if they just got into it and realized we don't have enough substance here, so we better go and, you know, who knows? But like you say, it, effectively, it became season two point five of the Mandalorian yeah. by the time it wrapped up. Exactly. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, uh, you know, you were talking about all the cheering and stuff for for Phantom Menace, and maybe, maybe to bring the conversation around, if this if this encourages you guys at all. There was a lot of clapping at the end of Spider Verse, so oh. I uh, I think you can look at that as a as a positive. Cool. Um, but uh, so so Justin, I think you've been made aware that anyone who is brought on to the Utah Film Pod <laughs> as a guest must reveal their top three movies, their defining movies, their 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 autobiography in movie form, their three mm-hmm. favorite movies, however you want to phrase it. It's it's just the ultimate challenge, right? How do you narrow down? It's so hard. It's to it's, three, and I've been thinking but... about it all night, Josh. <laughs> it kept me up. There's there's there's, there's like five. I, if I could choose five, then then I could probably. Well, you it got down. you got your top three and two honorable mentions. Yeah, so like it's really hard to rank them, you know, because like I have so many movies that influence me and just that I love. And people yeah. who know me know which ones I'm going to say, right? Okay. Um, so I'll just start by by t- telling you in in some order. I, if I had to choose just three, okay, then it's probably going to be Tron Legacy. Okay, that's Tron Legacy. Tron okay. Legacy is an, an excellent movie for so many reasons. It's not perfectly written. It doesn't have the best acting or casting, but it is my favorite movie probably on this earth because the music. I, I'm obsessed with Daft Punk. And so them doing the whole soundtrack, it's like the yeah. movie is like a music video for Daft Punk. <laughs> it's like a two-hour music video. Um, and just all the computers and tech and they go into the system, it's just, it's really breathtaking. I just, I still enjoy watching that movie with my kids and it's, it's excellent. And also the original Tron, I think that's why I like, because that's another movie that I grew up watching a lot. Sure. It's that old Tron movie. I didn't understand it then because I was just a little tyke, but it was always on (laughs) and it's old. I mean, I go back and watch the original Tron and I'm like, holy crap, this movie was way ahead of its time. He has this desk that's a touch screen. Like who had Uh that in 1982? Honestly, like whoever foresaw that that was going to be a thing. Anyway, I'll move on. So Tron Legacy (laughs) is probably my number one. And this is where it gets hard because I have so many. If I have to choose a second, it's going to be The Matrix. Okay. Yeah, the Matrix is just I'm so sensing good. a theme. Yeah, I, I like <laughs> I like sci-fi. I like computer, like where they go into a computer system. Uh, and if I have to pick a, a third here, because it's a toss-up between three movies, okay? Okay. Which are The Island, Inception, and Interstellar. Um, I like Nolan movies. Me and Mark talk about them all the time. So Inception and Interstellar, uh, the reason that I love those movies is because not only the music that Hans Zimmer does with the soundtrack there, um, they're definitely like these movies that you can't just watch one time. You have to, uh, you have to go back 
if you saw it once, you're just going to end up being confused and you're going to be like, that movie stumped me and I don't care to see it again. No, you have to go <laughs> back and see it again and it will make more sense every time you watch it again. Um, Interstellar's that way, Inception's that way, the Dark Knight movies are that way, uh, like the newer Batman ones, Nolan's, um, and Tenet was that way. So, and then the island, I, I would say that it's so hard. Like I say, I, I, those are my five that I have to, like okay. the island is so good. I, it's a, it's a terrible movie for a lot of people. Like <laughs> I, they, I was going to pick complain. the island for you. I love I, the island. Mm-hmm. It's, well, honestly, I, I, as far as Michael Bay movies go, yeah. the island was one of the ones that I enjoyed a lot more. That and the rock. I actually, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are two of his better ones and Armageddon, but that's debatable. I mean, that's <laughs> just kind of like a, like a high school drama fun movie, but yeah, the island was the the reason I love the island. Though the music's great too. Steve Jablonski did the soundtrack, and that theme song, it's actually used in other movies. Like I guess it. Hmm. I don't know if he capitalized on like making it some public domain, but it's it's a great soundtrack, by the way. And I like Scarlett Johansson, and I like Ewan McGregor a lot. Um, they're some two of my some of my favorite actors. I also really like Liam Neeson, so that's another reason I like episode one, because the two of those guys together as the Jedis, I think they did okay. great. Um, sure. Some honorable mentions, because it's so hard to choose all these, is uh, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Grew up watching that all the time. Uh, the Abyss uh, is a classic. Uh, some war movies that I really liked growing up are Glory and Braveheart. Uh, uh, me and Mark love the Lord of the Rings movies. We talk about that all the time. We don't need to talk too much about them because they're too long and they're too <laughs> there's too much to talk about. Um, and I love all the Star Wars movies. Like Episode Seven's even fun. I, I didn't talk much about it, but I really like Episode Seven. It was also a fun, like bringing it back, you know, kind of thing with new fresh characters. Um, some movies that like are comedy that I really liked growing up. I like Tommy Boy. Spaceballs. I love Spaceballs and Robin Hood Men in Tights. Those <laughs> Mel Brooks movies. We, we kind of just, it's like a family like affair. Like we always quoted uh, lines from the movie growing up and just had our laughs, inside jokes about it. Um, I love those uh, 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 Adam Sandler movies, Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison are just hilarious. Dumb and Dumber, Napoleon Dynamite is kind of one of our family favorites because it's so dumb that it, you just laugh your head off, <laughs> kind of like Nacho Libre. Um, and then So I Married an Axe Murderer is one of Mike Myers' best. You know, like Austin Powers are great, but can't really watch those with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's an excellent movie. It's like not really a horror movie, but it's if you haven't seen it, you got to see it. And then I wanted to talk a sec about I kind of mentioned this before the podcast is the labyrinth, the dark crystal and secret. Right. Name. These are like three childhood movies that I remember uh, people who watch them now. Like I tried to show labyrinth and dark crystal to my children. They didn't get it. They were, they were mm-hmm. like, what's this? And why does that guy have white tights on and weird hair? And I'm like, <laughs> that's Bowie. You can't <laughs> sure, he had a bulge and like he was going for some i don't know but it, it was bowling so 
but like, yeah. there's just good memories of that. The songs that he sings on that sure. and like yeah, the puppeteering, yeah. it's just so fun. And same thing with Dark Crystal. Like I hear Jim Henson was involved in both these movies a lot and did a lot of the puppeting. And, um, and then two other movies that I just want to, and then I'll be done, is The Emperor's <laughs> New Groove. Emperor's New Groove is a classic okay. that I grew up watching over and over again. It's so funny. Um, and then Aladdin and Lion King, believe it or not, just those animated films were very memorable to me. Uh, watched them a lot in the theater when they came out. And then with my brother, I just have fond memories of me and my brother. Had, we had a TV in our room and we would just, for some reason, we just pop the tape in and watch Aladdin and Lion King over and over. And The Little Mermaid. That one too. And so those are those are some of the movies uh, that mean a lot to me. Oh, I didn't even talk about Avatar. Sorry. <laughs> I was one of those psychos that wanted to become a Navi and paint myself blue when the first Avatar came out in oh, 2009. Yeah, yeah it, got, it got pretty bad. Like, I wasn't one of those that was like, I mean, I want to go to Pandora or I'm going to die or like take my life or something. You know, there were... There were really weird people like that, but I just really liked Avatar. That was, my wife does not like it. She, she hates it actually, but um, I just, I think it's a great movie. I like James Cameron's movies. There, there's like that star-crossed lovers thing going on and uh, lots of, lots of action. Um, so I don't know how you guys feel about Avatar or even the new Avatar. I like them. And we probably are seeing going to see more of those. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. those are my it movies. Does, it does seem like we are now going to be preparing for more yeah. Avatar movies. Yeah. I yeah. was I was skeptical for a long time because he kept talking about having multiple sequels, and it had been like well, and ten years. He only comes he out with a movie every sequel. ten years or right, so. Right. So I I don't know that we're going to wind up with a half a dozen Avatar movies, but I I would expect that there's going to be at least one more now. Oh yeah. Sure. So hey, you covered uh, you covered some good territory there. I I, I would yeah, feel sorry. pretty good about your top choices. Kind of rambled uh, on. So Tron Tron Legacy. No, you're fine. Uh, Tron Legacy was actually the first movie that I reviewed, kind of as a professional critic. I, really? I saw that one. Yep, I saw that one down at the IMAX theater at Jordan Commons. That's the way you had to I, see it because yes, man, yes. I feel like it, when they did that in the theater, it, the movie was like normal standard in the before he got into the grid, right? Like before he entered uh-huh. the computer system, it was like regular. Like uh, if you were watching it in IMAX, it wasn't filmed like it was just filmed normal and then when it got in there i think i saw it in 3d and so none of it was 3d or anything it was just like kind of uh flat looking and then when you got into there it was like all 3d it was so cool it was the coolest thing no that was that was a great looking movie that was yeah i I like that one and yeah for sure and ear candy that's funny. <laughs> Jeff Bridges did one of those actors roundtables recently with Pedro Pascal and Kieran Culkin and a few others, and they were talking about getting hooked on video games. And, and Jeff Bridges said, "He goes, I, yeah." He goes, "I really got into one." He goes, "I got sucked into a video game once." And they go, "Which one?" And he said, "Tron." So they all laughed. You know, like, <laughs> it's like the best joke. That is awesome. <laughs> and I was there for like 20 years. <laughs> My son was looking wow. for me. <laughs> We're going to have to have a Jeff Bridges draft. We should. Uh, yeah, he's Jeff got a lot of awesome. choices. 
that would be a good one. So, I like him. And uh, and speaking of, you, you mentioned Nicholas Cage earlier. I oh, hope my that as obsessed. part of this marathon, I hope that Moonstruck and Raising Arizona find their place oh, yeah. in the rotation. Oh, We've yeah. watched those. those ones. Got to be in there. Moonstruck, I haven't seen. That's the one with Cher, right? You haven't seen that one. Yes. Oh, I, you, I, you and Jenny got to watch that. I think I've seen parts of it, but it's on. <laughs> it's it's on the list. So yeah, yeah. we're going to see. It is an incredible movie. It's fantastic. Justin, thank you for joining us. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Glad to get your insights on on Return of the Jedi and various other things. Uh, again, you can you can hear more of Justin at the Tyson and Friends podcast uh, that you can access through gamerscoop.com and then uh, there's always going to be more coming from from me and Mark here at the Utah Film Pod if you have a chance if you haven't subscribed already please subscribe please follow us give us a like give us a comment whatever the computer offers you go ahead and take it up and uh, take good care of yourselves and we'll catch you next time bye